0: You know, that's uh, some pretty serious uh, words we were singing right there. In my heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Man, that's what God wants to do, right? That's how God changes us. He changes us from the inside out. And I tell you, if, as we sang that, if we meant it, that, that's what God wants to do, Right? God wants us to give him control of our heart and our soul so that he can consume us from the inside out. Amen? Amen. amen? amen? All right. All right. I need a lot of amen loving today, right? I know you guys are have turkey hangovers, right? But you can give me some. All right. Hey, I want to start off today with some words that Jesus spoke and that Matthew recorded in Matthew chapter 13. And and in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus begins talking in parables, you know, telling these stories that uh, that are easy to understand but have a deeper meaning. And they also began talking about the kingdom of God in these parables and talking about the power of a seed, the power of a seed that's planted, you know, not, not on hard soil, not on rocky soil, uh, not in soil that's surrounded by weeds, but the power of a seed that is planted on good soil. And by the way, the... The seed represents the Word of God. And, and brothers and sisters, never underestimate the power of God's Word. God's Word is alive, and God's Word is active. And you know what? Every Sunday, I stand up here, and I stand up confident, and not in myself, but total confidence in the power of the living and enduring Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's true, and it's powerful. Here's what Jesus writes in Matthew 13. He's talking about the seed and explaining to his guys, you're like, I don't get it. He says, well, here's what I'm talking about. He says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. They truly hear and they produce a harvest. And then in Matthew 13, 31 through 33, he told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is, is like, a, it's like a mustard seed, which a, man planted in, which a man took and planted in this field, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast uh, that a woman mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour until it worked all through the dough. May God bless the reading of his word, and would you guys join me in prayer? Uh, Father God, we love you, and we humbly come into your presence. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the first and the last. You are the Alpha and Omega. You were, you are, and you always will be. And God, you love us, with an everlasting love. And God, your word is powerful and alive. And God, I just pray that this morning as we, your people, gather that, that, we, that we are active and alive and engaged and are listening. Uh, God, I pray that your spirit moves in a powerful way, uh, that it blocks off every distraction so that everything that you want to accomplish today happens, Lord. We trust you and we believe in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Maple Grove, are you ready? Okay, yeah, two of you. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you're visiting, hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, uh, you know, hey, by the way, if you're our visiting, we have a, a welcome center, awesome coffee mug, and some uh, a, a coupon for some free uh, Chick Fil A breakfast uh, next week. So you want to be sure to pick that up, right? Uh, and uh, but anyhow, I know you guys are ready, and I hope so because this could be one of the most impactful. 40 to 50 minutes of your life. Seed is going to be planted. And what may seem small is about to grow. Do you believe that? I mean, seriously, do you believe that it's possible for for, for something life-impacting and life-changing to begin happening during the next few moments? Because you know what? I do. I believe it is. Brothers and sisters, on October the 11th, we set out on a journey to, to be transformed, to, to become new, better, changed men and women, to go from a, a slimy green caterpillar to a stunning butterfly, to develop in us the DNA of Christ Jesus. And, and for seven weeks, we, we have looked at seven areas or dimensions of our lives. And, and to be honest, as I, as I think about these seven areas, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, relational, financial, and vocational, I I think that pretty much covers everything. And, And listen, those are seven areas that our God and Savior wants to transform so that we will become the men and women he longs for us to be. Those are seven areas that God longs to transform so that that we will live the life that we were created to live. Uh, those are seven areas that, that God wants to transform so that we will more accurately and more powerfully reflect the image of God that is in each of us as men and women created in His very likeness. Qu- question if, if you really made positive and healthy changes in each of those areas, do you think your life would be any different? D- do you think it would be any better? Do you think it would be transformed? Maple Grove, this is, this is huge stuff. It's important stuff. And, and that, that's why I was just convicted. You know what? Yeah, I know it's supposed to be a seven-week series, but you know what? We need one more conversation before we moved on from transformed. A, a conversation that I'm calling making it happen, making transformation happen. And, and if you're looking for your notes, they're not in your bulletin on purpose, not because I forgot. And you know, I do that a lot, right? Leave bulletins at home and send my kids, run to get them and all that kind of stuff. It, this, this is just, I'm doing something different, right? So you remember, well, he passed out outlines today. And like he threw one, like, wow, he threw an outline. He threw another one. Okay. And again, it, it's just like, wow, he's a guy throwing out. Okay. There's no real purpose of that other than help you remember. And then help people help me pass these out. Okay. There's some in the back for if people come in late, if people would just help me get these spread out around the place. All right. And, and, and as they're picking them off the floor and all this other, hey, I, I'll tell you a quick Thanksgiving story. You know, uh, we had Thanksgiving and, and, and cooked a lot of stuff. All, all my kids and grandkids were here and some, some friends were over and, and uh, we're getting ready to eat. And we, we had, I think, our, well, no, I know that our, our, our turkey pan was a little too shallow and, and it probably should have had a cookie sheet under it. And I have a gas stove, and, and, and you know when I, we opened up the oven right at dinner time, it spilled over into our gas stove, and I mean the whole thing's engulfed in flames right inside. It's like whoa, that's crazy, you know. And it's on video some of it, because <laughs> so, people got out their cameras. That's what you do in today's society, right? And, and, and I, I just quickly you know, shut the shut the door, turn the oven off. It'll eventually die off. And so we said, wow, my my son John is like this with a a towel because the smoke alarm's going off. I got windows are open and we're trying to get airflow go through the house, it's too smoky. And we said, guess where we're having Thanksgiving dinner? Let's back the car out of the garage. Let's bring the lawn furniture into the garage and let's have Thanksgiving dinner in the garage. And so that's what we did. And actually, I I rather enjoyed having it in the garage. It it may become a a new tradition, right, for me because I don't have to worry about things being spilled on the carpet, right? No one's going to scratch my new hardwood floors. Hey, go ahead, run, spill stuff. It's fine. You know, uh, g- 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 Papa's okay with anything that you do right now in the garage. But hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, I-, I make good use of our time passing this stuff out, right? And, and, and now my goal this morning, November the 29th, 2015, a lot of times, you know, I say the day, because for some of you, you're going, this is it. This is when it happened. This one a major dramatic shift happened in my life. And my goal is real simple. is that for everyone in this room to set at least one goal in the seven areas that we've been talking about since October the 11th. And again, if each of us do that, transformation in these areas will happen. The seed, no matter how small, will grow. The yeast will spread and work its way throughout our entire lives, and we will be different people. We will be different spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, and vocationally. And listen, an awesome kingdom-impacting, world-changing byproduct of that is that Maple Grove will be different. Maple Grove will be transformed because we, his people, are the church. Are, are, are you tracking with me? Do, do you see how important this stuff is? Because as you and I are transformed in these ways, the entire church will be transformed into a different church altogether. Now, 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote these words. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, Continue to work out your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And we're going to read that together on the count of three. After I say three, right? You know, it's like, okay, so when you say three, or... after I say three. One, two, three. Continue to work out your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Understand, our, our justification being right with God is instant. According to the Bible, the moment that we surrender to Christ in faith, repentance, and baptism, confession, Jesus Christ is Lord, our, our, our sins are forgiven, we are saved, we are justified, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. That's awesome. However, our sanctification, which is a is a theological and churchy word that basically means becoming more like Jesus is a process. I mean, nobody came out of the baptistry, right? Living, talking, acting, behaving just like Jesus, right? It's a process. That's why Paul says, continue to work out your salvation. Not not your justification, but the fullness of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. That's good, right? Because it's not on you. For God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Now, now the three points in your, your notes today, they are uh, the core is an understanding, uh, the choice requires an embracing, and the challenge demands a doing. Point number one, the core is an understanding, an and understanding that, that Christianity, that following Christ equals transformation. And, and understanding that, that, that following Jesus and being changed into somebody new, someone better, someone different, it, it, it's an understanding that that is the message, that that is the hope, that that, that is the power of the gospel, that we can be something new, that, that we can be something better. Uh, I understand, you know, God loves you just the way you are. Okay. Would you turn to the person to your right and left and tell them, God loves you just the way you are. You. Just the way you are. God loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you far too much to let you stay that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus, and here are just a few scriptures breathed by God that back up this truth that following Jesus equals transformation. Uh, this is an angel talking to the disciples after he had, uh, after a, a prison break, uh, led by him. He says, "Go stand in the temple courts," he said, "and tell the people all about this. this what this new life? It's not the old life. It's it's a new life and." And then Paul in, in, in Romans chapter six, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's addressing some believers who thought, Hey, God's grace is so awesome. It's so incredible. You know, I'm going to send a whole bunch. I can, can keep living the old life. And then God gives me a bunch of grace and God looks good and I get to live the old life and everybody wins. Right. And Paul knows there are people thinking that way. And so in Romans six, he says, Uh, 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 that's not the way to be. Actually, he says one of my favorite Greek phrases, megenital, you know, uh, may that idea never even be born in your mind. And then he says this, or don't you know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may what? Live a new life. Turn to the person to your right and left to say, you too may live a new life. And now turn to them and say, why ain't you living it? No. (laughs) No. Uh, uh, Romans 8, 29. Uh, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. So the son will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And then our our theme verse for the series, don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then 2 Corinthians five seventeen. therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is the same old person. No, he is what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, those are just some of the scriptures that underscore the truth that to be a follower of Jesus means to be in a constant and ongoing state of change and transformation. Get it? Yes. Good. And not to mention all the times we read in the New Testament where Paul is talking about that as Christians, there, that there are certain behaviors and attitudes that we're to take off and put to death, like sexual immorality, lust, anger, rage, pride, greed, bitterness, slander, malicious behavior, and other behaviors and attitudes that we're, we're to put on, like humility and gentleness and patience and love and mercy and forgiveness. Listen, the core to making it happen is an understanding that following Christ equals transformation. We are not to be the same anymore. We're to always be changing, always growing, always becoming. In Maple Grove, as we look through the pages of Scripture, we see life after life transformed as men and women made a decision to surrender to Jesus and follow Him. Peter, James, John, and the rest of the disciples were transformed, Mary Magdalene was transformed. The apostle Paul was transformed. The woman at the well was transformed. The demon-possessed man who hung out naked in the tombs was transformed. The runaway slave of was transformed. A teenager named Timothy was transformed. A, a businesswoman named Lydia and a, a, a jailer whose name we do not know in Philippi were transformed. And countless men and women were transformed in Ephesus and Athens and Judea, Samaria, Derby, Lystra, Corinth. Galatia, Philippi, Colossae, Antioch, Sardis, Laodicea, Rome, et cetera, et cetera, etc. They were transformed. And here's the undeniable truth of the matter. It it is absolutely impossible to be a follower of Christ. In my notes, I had the word true, and then I crossed it out. You know. it's absolutely impossible to be a follower of Christ because what's the difference between a follower or a true follower and not be changed? It's impossible. I mean, that's why our mission statement as a church, right? in Christ in what? Life-changing community. We want, to be able to, we want to be a church that's about life change. You know, you know, we want to be less stupid next year than we are this year, right? You know, we want to be changing, right? We want to be different. And again, the core to making it, happen, making transfer happen, is an understanding. Uh, Next, the choice requires an embracing. An embracing of the truth that setting of goals, the setting of goals puts you and I in a place where God can do his transformation thing. The setting of what? The setting of goals. And and this is one way, setting goals is one way that you and I continue to, to work out our salvation. And I want to say a few things about goals. Number one, Goal setting is a spiritual responsibility. Did you know that that God set goals? Understand, God has goals for the universe. God has goals for planet Earth. God has goals for history. God has goals for eternity. And God certainly has goals for your life and for mine. Jeremiah 29 11 says what? And God says, I, I know the goals are plans I have for you, plans uh, to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and, and a future. And listen, when God wore flesh and walked this earth, he most definitely was goal-driven, right? He was driven by the goal to, to show you and I how we could live as a son of God and driven by the goal to give his life on the cross to pay our debt and to rise again from the dead. And listen, when we look at the people who walk with God in the Bible, we find examples of them being driven by goals. Uh, one is the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3 says this, I know that I am not yet what God wants me to be. Let's do that together on, on, after three. One, two, three. I know that I am not yet what God wants me to be. Anybody feel that way? I, I sure hope so. Man, I, I, it, it, like, I was like, God, it's like you're done with me. <laughs> and this is as good as I'm going to get right now? Man, I, I'm not liking it all that much. I haven't reached that goal. What goal? Being who God wants me to be. But I keep moving toward it to make it mine, be Christ make me, and save me for this. Save me for what? So that I can be like Jesus. I know that I haven't yet reached my goal, but there's one thing I always do. Forgetting the past and straining towards what is ahead. For some of you, you could take that and just go home, right? Some of you just need to forget the past, right? The past is in the past. There's no future in the past. Forget the past, learn from it, but then strain towards what is ahead. I keep my eyes focused on the goal so that I may one day win the prize that God has called me to receive through Christ and the life above. And I love his little side note in case we disagree with him. All of you who are spiritually mature should think the same way too. You should think that, hey, I've not arrived yet. I'm not who God wants me to be. I've got work to do, so I need to forget the past and press on to what's ahead. Paul was goal-oriented. He said, I haven't reached that goal. I haven't yet reached my goal, but my eyes are focused on the goal. Question, why is it important to set goals? Because goals are a spiritual responsibility. And here's the bottom line. that The bottom line is that we're, we're going to, we're gonna go through life either we're gonna go through life either by design, we're gonna go through life either by design or by default. We're either gonna set goals and we're gonna decide what's important to our our lives, or other people are gonna decide for us. Understand, if we don't have goals for our life we're abdicating abdicating the control of our life to other people and to the ever-changing tides of circumstances. If we don't have clear goals for our life, we're just coasting through life. And when you're coasting, are you usually going uphill or downhill? Downhill. Get it? Good. Next goals are statements of faith. Now, Now, a lot of people, when they hear about the need to set goals, they immediately think, but hey, we're Christians. Uh, well, aren't we just live by faith and just see what happens? I, I mean, isn't goal setting, isn't that, isn't that a business thing? Isn't, that, isn't setting goals, isn't that a secular thing, like something athletes do? No, setting goals is a spiritual habit that we must develop. You see, goals are statements of faith. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you set a goal, what you're saying is, I believe, and that's faith, I believe that God wants me to accomplish such and such by such and such a time. That's a statement of faith. A a goal is a statement of faith. This is what I believe. This is what I believe God is going to do in my spiritual health, in my physical health, in my mental health, in my emotional health, in my relational health, in my financial health, in my vocational health, in the next 90 years days six months or in the year 2016. Goals are statements of faith and as we recently saw in Matthew chapter 9 in our Bible reading program that we saw that lived out. In Matthew 9 we meet a lady who had been sick for years and years and not, didn't get any better 12 years and that she had a goal. If I can just touch his robe I'll be healed and she did. And Jesus said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. A little later on that same chapter, Jesus meets some blind guys who wanted to see him, to be healed. And Jesus said, do you believe I can make you see? And today God is saying, hey, do you believe I can make your relationships better? Do you believe that I can transform your, your physical health and make it better? Uh, do you believe I can help your spiritual health? Do you believe that you can be closer to me than you ever have? Uh, do you believe that I can help your marriage get better than it is right now? Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him. We do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. So then their eyes were open and they could see. And listen, goals aren't just a statement of faith. Goals are a stretcher of our faith. A- a- in fact, the the bigger your goal, the more faith it will, it will take and the more stretching will happen. And that pleases God because the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, in Ephesians chapter 3, we find what is probably one of the most faith-stretching verses in, in the Bible. Paul writes this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine in our spiritual health, in our physical health, in our mental health, in our emotional health, in our relational health, in our financial health, in our vocational health, according to His power that is at work in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Bottom line, big God big goal. Tiny God, tiny goal. You see, whether, you know, I I, I want to admit it or not, you know, the size of my God determines the size of my goal, how much I think he can do. And again, this this morning is all about motivating each of us to set at least one goal in those seven areas we've been talking about since October the 11th. And listen, as we set these goals, we, we should be asking ourselves, you know, Will this require any faith on my part? And hey, as, you, as we set goals, let's not be afraid to go out on the limb. Why? Because that's where the fruit is, right? There, there's no fruit on the trunk, right? The fruit is always out on the limb. Uh, number three, goals, focus my energy. You see, selection is the name of the game. Focus is the key to an effective life. Uh, I Understand, the more you focus your life, the more powerful and the more effective your life is going to be. Light diffused has no power at all. But on the other hand, when you focus light, it has enormous power. Focus light can start a fire. Focus light can become a laser that cuts through steel, a laser that kills cancer. God wants you and I to live a laser-focused life. And, and, And goals help us to do that. Goals help us to focus our energy... And they keep us from using up our energy on a bunch of lesser things. And they keep us from getting off course from the flood of distractions that constantly flow through our world. Amen? Amen. I understand, you do not have time to do everything. Anybody figure that out yet? And the good news is, God doesn't expect you to do everything. In fact, there are only a few things worth doing. In Ephesians 2, God talks about how we are his masterpiece or his work of art, the Greek word poema, Ephesians 2.10. And, and you know, we are his masterpiece, you know, you know, created anew in Christ Jesus that we may do the good things God planned in advance for us to do. And this week when I read that, I, I, I looked into the the Greek and and I found it really kind of cool that it used a it, it God plan in advance for us to do is literally God plan in advance for us to walk in. I kind of like that. Use the word walk. I mean, God wants me to walk in these things. And, and my plans may be different than you. As a matter of fact, they are right. If you went to a museum and, and a great artist and every painting was the same, you'd be like, oh, "This is this is kind of like Hollywood, right? <laughs> now, we won't create a new movie. We'll just run an old movie, right? you know." But you know, if every masterpiece looked the same, right, we're all different. There's things that God wants us to do. And listen, the key to being effective in, in your life as a man or, and women, or woman of God is to do what matters most and forget about the rest. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I do not run without a goal. I fight like a boxer who's hitting something, not just air. Paul says, I'm not playing around. Paul says, when I box, I fight the wind. When I run, I, I run the wind. In other words, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess around with my life. It's all I got. It, it, it's too important. I'm gonna do something with my life that matters. I'm gonna do something with my life that brings honor and glory and, and praise to God. I, I don't wanna run without a goal. Now maybe some of you are, are running without a goal. And as well, you're just running in circles like a little rat on a wheel, right? And you're tired and you're worn out. You're caught up in the rat race. And listen, you, you don't want to win the rat race. Because even if you win the rat race, you're still what? You're still a rat, right? You're still rat. Goals are statements of faith. Goals focus my energy. And next, goals keep me going when I feel like quitting, when I feel like giving up, when I feel like quitting on six. That's a phrase we've been using you know, for quite a few months here at Maple Grove. You know, they walked around the walls of Jericho seven times. On the seventh time, what happened? The walls fell down. What if they quit on six? The walls wouldn't have fell down. Yeah, don't quit on six. Some of you feel like quitting on your marriage. You feel like quitting on that relationship. You feel like quitting on getting closer to God. Don't quit on six. You never know how close. Seven could just be the very next moment. It could just be around the corner. Question What does God want you to do when you're going through hell? He wants you to what? He wants you to keep on going. He doesn't want you to pitch a tent and camp out in hell. He wants you to keep going. And one of the keys to do that is have a goal that looks beyond the hell, a goal that looks beyond the pain, a goal that looks beyond the struggle, beyond the setbacks, and beyond the discouragement to where you are heading. And as you might expect, Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, is the perfect example of this. Hebrew writer writes in Hebrews 12, 2, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And brothers and sisters, Jesus, he looked beyond the pain of the cross to the joy set before him. He he looked beyond the pain and brutality of the cross to his ultimate victory over sin, death, and the grave. Amen? And and we need to do the same thing. We need to look beyond the temporary pain, the momentary setbacks, and the inevitable discouragements that will come our way. We, We need to look beyond to where we're heading. We need to look beyond to the joy that is set before us, to the transformation that is coming, to the goals that we are living for. Yeah, it's hard right now in your marriage, but you're not going to stay there. You're going to get to the other side, where God wants you to be, where you truly are one flesh. Years ago, they did a study of the Holocaust survivors. As you know, World War II, the Nazis killed about six million Jews and many other people besides Jews that they didn't like, like Christians and gays and Muslims, they, they put them all in death camps. And Well, they did a study of the survivors and and those who survived those terrible tragedies, and they discovered they all had one thing in common. Every one of them had something to look forward to. Every one of them had something waiting for them. Every one of them had something they wanted to live for. They had a goal. They were looking to something beyond where they were. On the other hand, those who didn't, Have anything to look forward to? Lost hope, gave up, and eventually died. Goals keep me going. Goals are statements of faith. Goals focus my energy. And goals, number five, build my character. Uh, I I understand uh, the the greatest benefit to your life and mine in setting goals in these seven areas or dimensions of our lives is not going to be the accomplishments and achievements we acquire because of those goals but rather what happens inside of us while we're moving toward those goals remember God is more interested in your character than he is in your accomplishments why because you're not taking your accomplishments to heaven you're not taking your career to heaven but you are taking your character to heaven you see God is more interested in who you are and who you are becoming than what you do and what you accomplish get it Good. Get it? it. Good. Get it? it. Good. That one needed the trifecta. Bottom line, God is interested in you. God is interested in you becoming the you that he created you to be. And here's the deal. While I'm working on my goal, God's working on me. While you're working on your goal, God's working on you. Does that make sense? That's what God wants to do in your life. God helps build your character. And and that's what's going to last for eternity. Paul says it like this in Philippians 3, verse 12. I keep striving toward the goal. Striving. That means it takes energy, it takes effort, it takes intention, it takes purpose to reach your goal. And, and God says, while you're doing that, while you're striving, while you're working on your goal, while you're working out your salvation, I'm building character in you. Listen. 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 You will never become the man God intends you to be unless you intend to become that man. Gentlemen, you will never become the man that God intends for you to be unless you intend to be that man. And ladies, you will never become the woman that God intends for you to be unless, unless you intend to be that person. And setting goals Creates intentionality, setting goals gives us direction and, and, and you know what is really heartbreaking to god it, 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 it is that is that God knows God knows that there's some people in this room i don't claim to know, but he knows he, he knows that there's some people in this room who are not going to experience any real transformation spiritually, physically, relationally, mentally, emotionally, financially, vocationally. He he knows that there's marriages and relationships that that, that are not going to get any better, that may actually get worse. He he knows there's some physical health that's not going to get any better, that may actually get worse. He knows there's some people who won't get any closer to God. Matter of fact, they may even get further away from God and, and, and leave church altogether. Some people whose emotional health is not going to be better, they're going to allow that seed of bitterness to grow and grow and grow so, so that they miss the grace of God. Why? Because they never really intended to be that man and that woman that God wanted them to be. And setting goals creates intentionality. Get it? Good. Goals keep me going. Goals are statements of faith. Goals focus my energy. Goals build my character. And goals need to be smart. Uh, according to the uh, infallible Wikipedia, um, in 1981, a business guy by the name of George Doran came up with an acrostic of the word smart to use when setting goals. There's a bunch of different variations, but as we begin... You know, as we begin to set goals and and uh, let me grab my little sheet here because it's on the back. Right, as we begin to uh, set goals in just a minute or talk about goals, uh, we want to set smart goals. And, and and here's what the S means in smart. You know, specific. Your goal needs to be specific. You know, not vague. Vague goals have no power. Uh, nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. Uh, Whenever you set goals, don't say, I I want to be more this or have less of this, more or less. What does that mean? Be specific, less 15 pounds or whatever. Don't just say, I want to be more like Jesus. How are you going to measure that? The M stands for the goal needs to be measurable. And the thought behind this is that if if a goal is not measurable, how do we actually know if we're actually making progress towards that goal? A measurable goal will usually answer questions such as, you know, how much, how many, how will I know when it is accomplished? The A stands for what? Anybody know? Attainable. Yeah, yeah, yeah we want our goal to stretch our faith, but, but if we can't attain that goal, if we can't reach it, we're just going to get discouraged. You know, not too easy, and not too hard. I mean, if you set the goal, say, you know what, I'm going to pray six hours every day and read the Bible all the way through once a month, that could be hard to do and memorize all the Psalms. You know, you you may not be able to attain that. The R stands for it must be what? Relevant. That means it's based on your values and your priorities, on what's important to you, on, on what's in line with what you're trying to accomplish in life. Don't ever set a goal that you think somebody else thinks you should set. And by the way, we can't set goals for each other, right? You can't go home today and say to your husband or wife, say, here's the goals I have for you, right? It's probably not going to work. But set goals that are relevant, that matter to you, that way you'll be motivated. And, and, And the T stands for time bound. And this stresses the importance of grounding goals within time frame, setting a target date. Understand, a commitment to a deadline helps focus our efforts on completion of the goal on or before that due date. And really the difference between a dream you know, and a goal is that a goal has a deadline, right? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to accomplish and I'm moving towards this. The core is an understanding that, that, that the follow Jesus is equal to transformation. You know, the, you know the, the, the choice is embracing, right? Requires an embracing that, hey, I need to set goals. The challenge demands a doing. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. We've been listening to a lot of Word, believe me, hours of Word, right, about transform. You know, you've been reading about it in your devotions, doing it in your small groups. I've been up here flapping my jaws every week. Um, Do not merely listen to Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Um, Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you what? If you do them. So with that in mind, I I would encourage everybody to, you know, this week, some of you have already done some of this, but to, to write out a specific goal for each of these areas. First, a spiritual health goal. Here's some habits we learned that are important for our spiritual health. I must love Jesus supremely. I must meet with him daily. I must study and do his word. I must tithe my income to my church. I must learn to love other believers. I must serve others unselfishly. I must pass on the good news. And here are some goals that members of Maple Grove have set. I sent out an email to a bunch of people, and here are some of the responses, some, some goals that people here have set. Um, read four chapters, chapters of the Bible each day. I'll start a daily quiet time reading the Bible and praying. Um, another goal to help lead one person to Christ within the next six months. To start tithing to the church. Another goal was to have a daily quiet time that includes prayer, the Word, and journaling on a more routine and predictable schedule. Now let me ask you, if these people press on towards those goals, do you think their spiritual health will improve? Absolutely. Okay? Physical health. You know, our, our body belongs to God, right? It's, it, we need to be good stewards of, that, of our body, and we need to set some physical goals. Here's some goals that people in our church have set. Um, to exercise three to four times a week and to lose 40 pounds by this time next year. Uh, I'll walk five days a week for 30 minutes. Another set of goals to set aside time to rest each week, at least a five-hour block without any plans. Uh, another goal, exercise 20 minutes every day, Drink three bottles of water and to lose 10 pounds. And again, if those people do those things, do you think that will help transform their physical health? Absolutely. And then we got mental health. We talked about our our mental health and and some habits, right? Don't believe everything you think. Guard your mind against garbage. Never let up on learning. Renew your mind daily with God's Word. Let God stretch your imaginations. And then here's some goals that people have set. I will guard my mind against garbage. By reading God's Word first thing each morning instead of turning on the news. That could be good, right? You know, or maybe before even answering your emails or looking at emails. Okay? Um, another goal, memorize specific Scripture verses to fix my mind on Jesus and repeat them when I find my mind elsewhere. Another mental health goal someone had is spend one hour each day doing some mind-expanding and renewing activity. Uh, another mental health goal someone had was I will spend five hours each week learning new things reading, podcasts, etc., that are not specifically related to my current vocation. Then we talked about mental health. We need to set some uh, emotional health goals. Emotional health, remember we said we had a, a, how to deal with an unhealthy emotion. First, we name it. What is the emotion? Then we challenge it by asking questions. Hey, what am I really feeling, right? You know, remember anger is, is a secondary emotion. What am I really feeling? Is what I'm feeling true? And is, what, is this emotion helping me or is it hurting me? And another way we challenge a negative emotion is we invite a friend, right? We invite a friend to, to speak into our life. Or, and maybe sometimes that friend is actually a professional counselor. And then we can also we also need to tame a negative motion. Sometimes just by changing it, right? It's nasty and ugly. We just need to get rid of it. And other other times by channeling that negative motion to something positive. Okay? Here are some emotional health goals that some people in our church have set. I'll make a real effort to control my anger. I'll ask forgiveness of someone. I know I have hurt. I will try not to worry about things that I, have, that I cannot control in my life. I will challenge negative emotions by inviting a friend to speak truth into my life. Okay, again, do you think if these people make that go and press on, will that help their emotional health? Absolutely. Then we talked about our relational health. And, and in that sermon, um, you know, I, I talked about you know, seven ingredients that work, right? They're the baking, they're the chocolate, they're the Cool Whip, they're the pumpkin pie, right? I mean, they're the giblet gravy, right, to relationships. I love giblet gravy. It's good stuff. But, but, and those things were right. If you put these in your relationship, they will work. Accept, acceptance, attention, adjustment, appreciation. Are you writing those letters? Keep writing those letters to those family members in your house. I appreciate you. I care about you. You know, don't give up that habit. Affection, amnesty, forgiveness, and Almighty God, drawing closer to Almighty God. He, he, here, here are some uh, emotional health, I mean, relational health goals some people have set. Um, I will work to become a good listener and slow to interject. That could help a whole lot, right? Anybody struggle with that one? If you're a man, you do. Okay? Um, I'll do my part in my relationship with my dad by showing acceptance, giving attention, and forgiving even when it is hard. Some more examples, I'll write a note of appreciation to someone my life intersects with at home, work, church, each week. Another one, um, I'll immediately give forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and I'll seek forgiveness of those who feel that I've hurt them within 60 days. That sounds pretty scary right there. Um, And then we talked about uh, financial health, and and we talked about some truths there, right, some habits, some transformational financial truths that all belongs to God. God is using his money to test me. Uh, what do I love the most? What do I trust the most? Can God trust me enough to give me more? Because He knows I'm going to give it away to help his kingdom. Um, money is a powerful resource. The best use of our money is to get people to heaven, and one day I will give account of how I use the resources that God has given me. And then we talked about seven habits for financial health from our life group studies. I must trust God as my source and supplier. I must keep good records. I must give 10% back to God, I must save and invest, I must set up a repayment plan, I must budget my spending, I must enjoy what I have, contentment. And here are some goals that members of our church have set as far as their financial health. Um, uh, One goal, to make a monthly budget that allows me to give generously, keeping in mind that the best use of my money is to use it to get people into heaven. Uh, Another had to go, I'll make a budget for the year 2016, aggressively pay off debt and begin to save and invest every month. Another example, I'll start tithing to the church as God commands. Had a lot of those come through. Uh, Another one, to be sure in 2016 that we are tithing to our church and to view other charities we contribute to in order to be sure that they're using the funds responsibly and for God's purposes. And then we talked about vocational health a few weeks ago, right? And here here are, are seven attitudes of a healthy work life. I, I must work enthusiastically wherever I am. I must understand who I am really working for. I must concentrate on building my character. I must care about people I work with. I must exceed what is expected of me. I must expand my skills with continual learning, and I must dedicate my work to be used for God's purposes. And again, here are some goals that, that people in our church set in these, for these areas right here. Um, um, be more deliberate in showing my faith at work. Invest in the people that I come in contact with at work. Every day, remind myself that my real boss is God. I will strive to embrace the work ethic of Daniel. person must have been listening to the message, who did what he was told, did his best, had a positive attitude, served others, and showed respect to those over him. I remind myself every day that God has sent me to my workplace to be on a mission for him. And again, do you think that if these people set those goals and press onto those goals, do you think that that will transform their vocational health? Absolutely. Or as I like to say, absolutely. Now just three things, and we're going to wrap this puppy up and take it home. Three things that, that, that I must have and you must have if we're, going to, if we're going to achieve these goals. Number one, I need God's Spirit to empower me. Say that with me on three. One, two, three. I need God's Spirit to empower me. Uh, Zechariah says, you will not succeed by your own strength or your own power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Paul said in Philippians 2, which we read earlier, God is working in you to give you both the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And Paul said in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 3, God is able to do immeasurably more according to what? His power that is at work within me. I need God's Spirit to empower me to accomplish my goals. Next, I need God's Word to guide me. God says to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, talk about the Word. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So, you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. All right? I, I, I need God's Spirit to empower me. I, I need God's Word to guide me. And I want to encourage you. You got to be in the Word. You got to be in the Word. You know, if you're not sure what to read, go to our website, you know, um, thegrovesieville.org. We always have a Bible reading program. Uh, there's always a chapter a day, and Sunday is catch-up. Like, I'm seven chapters behind. I'm still catching up from the last time around. You know? but, but we always have a chapter a day. We're reading through the Gospels, you know, and we're reading the New Testament this year. And third thing we need, you know, we need, I need God's people to support me. We will not reach our goals on our own. It, it, it takes a team to fulfill a dream, right? It, it takes a team to fulfill a dream, and that's why we have life groups. See, a, a crowd can't support you, right? But a small group of people they can support you. You know they can cry for you. You know, you know, we have a young family being, you know, uh, keeping prayer. Uh, Savannah, uh, Grace Haney. Uh, Savannah Grace had like a high fever and went to Martha J. yesterday at Kyle and Kelly's uh, little girl, you know, and, and, but her small group's been all over it, man, you know, uh, praying for them, you know, taking care of them, you know, a, a, a crowd can't support you, but a small group can. Uh, the Bible says it this way, two are better than often one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble, Amen. You ever fell alone? Eh, you're in trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and can conquer. Three are even better. Sounds like we're talking about razor blades right now, right? <laughs> you know? Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Wow. What, 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 a, you know, what, what a journey we've begun with Transformed. And I got to tell you, this is just a piece of paper. But if this week you pray about it and you say, you know what? God, what should be my one goal for my spiritual health and my physical health, my relational health? I guarantee it. I stand on the word of God that you will be different and I will be different and this church will be different. You know, I just encourage you. Man. You do this. You know, and, and any thought not to do this is not from God. It's not from God. The enemy doesn't want you to do it, Do this, right? He wants you to stick your gum in here. Okay, forget about it, right? This is stupid. I don't need to do this. Yeah, you do. And you need to have people hold you accountable. And I need you to hold me accountable. You need to grab me. You know, I don't got them all written down yet. You know, some, some of those were mine. You know, yeah, but you need to come up to me and say, Steve, you have your goals. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll tell you, maybe I won't, but you know, I'll answer truthfully. I may not show them to you, you know, but you got to find out, hey, do I do what I'm talking about? I mean, every week you need to feel free to challenge me, right? Am I out there just jabbing my jaws? Or am I, am I in the ring with you trying to fight for this life that God wants me to have, right? So feel free. I want you to challenge me. Say, Steve, you got those goals? Did you do seven goals? You know, you got somebody holding you accountable to those goals? You know, I, I need that and, and I want that because I, I don't, and here's what I, I know. I know for a fact, I will not be the same person Thanksgiving 2016. For one, I'm going to have a cookie tray under my turkey thing. <laughs> but even beside that, I'll be a little bit different. And it all comes down with the song we're about to sing, and "Surrender, right? We surrender to the prompting of the Spirit to set these goals. That's what the Christian life is about, right? Constant surrender, and so would you guys? Would you just stand and pray with me, Father God? Here we are in your presence. Here we are, as this song says, on our knees again, God. And God, God, you know us, and and God, I know there's people in here, God, that they're they're just really discouraged about their relational health right now, or they're really discouraged, God, about their finances or or about their about their job, Lord. You know, some of their relationships are just really messed up. And God, I know some people feel so far from you right now. I know you feel so, so, so distant from them. And God, I know some people are just discouraged with their physical health. Some people, God, their finances, they, the pit just seems to get deeper and deeper. But God, I, I pray that all of us will realize that we truly can be transformed that change is the power of the gospel, and that it always begins and always continues through one simple act of surrender. And God, I just pray we do that right now. I pray that I do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. It's worship.